to Warm Collisions YYC Welcome. My name is Tyler Chisholm. I'm excited to invite you to my second episode of Sustainable Matters, a show where we have real conversations with the people who are living at the intersection of sustainability and business. To follow up that big mouthful, I'm happy to have on this morning, Alex Todorovich. How are you, Alex? I'm great. I'm great. Happy Thank, to be here. Uh, thanks for coming on, man. We, uh, we met as Calgary Conspires. I know somebody that knows you, and I was chatting with them, and you and I had a great conversation yesterday, uh, and we were able to kind of get you in on the show right away. So let's jump in the, in the quick elevator, uh, my, my favorite pitch elevator ride. You're the founder and CEO at Arbor. What is an, what, what is an Arbor, and uh, what role do you play in the world? And let's go from there. Uh, so at Arbor, we use uh, a lot of data to basically be able to map out um, company supply chains, and be able to um, calculate the emissions that happen during production of products, for example. So, like, uh, you know, what happens at the raw material stage? Uh, what happens at manufacturing? What kind of energy sources are used? Where in the world does it come from? Um, how? What kind of packaging, transportation? All those little pieces um, along the supply chain. We use data to basically be able to uh, create a journey of a product. Uh, regardless of you know retail automotive or whatever it is at the end we give you kind of an emissions calculations of what happened we use a blend of data provided from the company itself but also data that we have on our end to fill in the gaps um, because as you can imagine supply chains have like thousands of moving pieces (laughs) and it's at this point in time it's almost impossible for like a single business to have all that data under the hood how much how much can they be expected? And I know that's a broad statement, but is there, are, and, and maybe other, are we trending in a positive direction? I'm assuming yes. I'm assuming that there's a percentage that where most companies can, can play at with any degree of effort. And is that improving as we're taking this more seriously or is it also just tied to more data becoming available? Uh, it's a bit of both. Like uh, right now, it's still pretty crap. Um, like a lot of <laughs> Yeah, a lot of companies that make their own stuff and control generally the most of the supply chain, they'll have about like half the data. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And what we've done is we've worked with companies uh, to like as we built a product, figure out like what data can do they usually have on hand um, that we can expect, what data half the time they ha- might have if they like have a good relationship with a supplier. Um, and then what data absolutely they will just never have. And so for the bucket that they'll never have, we definitely like lean on our own data sets, like a life cycle assessment and like energy grids and like all these different things that you can utilize to make uh, estimation, uh, which is better than nothing at this point. But to your question, it is definitely trending upwards because of all the mandates that are coming in from like different governments. Okay. So like, uh, scope one, scope two, scope three emissions reporting and all these things like that mm-hmm. are becoming a real thing across the like across Europe, uh, North America as well. Uh, and because of that, these companies have to have more data on hand. So they're kind of scrambling right now, to be honest. Okay. Um, so so the, the, also, the regulatory hammer is driving this more than anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, like, like you said, like more... Um, broad uh, scope data is becoming available, more accurate data is becoming available to fill in those gaps. Well, I can only imagine if I think about global supply chain, my, my stuff, we'll just call it stuff for lack of better description. It's going to be on a boat somewhere. It'll probably be on a plane somewhere. It'll probably be on a train somewhere. And those are probably, I would say, more universal data sets or consistent, whether I'm putting a barrel of X on a train or I'm putting a crate of Y, if it weighs a certain amount and it travels a certain distance, there's probably some, I'm going to imagine there's standardization there in terms of consistency. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, um, so for example, like we um, we've built this engine out, but then there's pieces that you can take out. Uh, we call microservices. Okay. And so, like, if you're a company and you, for example, want to only know like logistics around your transportation, we can take that piece out and we can provide transportation metrics. But like you said, you know, if you're transporting um, textiles versus timber versus whatever, like yeah. at the end of the day, the vehicle for transportation is going to be pretty similar. It's not. It doesn't matter what you're transporting. It just matters like yeah. what point A to point B is, and that helps us understand like you know, is it trucks is it um vans is it um airplanes maritime and all those have like similar signatures and routes that they take which there that's where you can start to fill in some of the gaps and when you talk getting into scope one because primarily scope one and scope two if i understand correctly are elements that the organization themselves have some more control over and direct connection to where scope three could be that truck that's running back and forth from your manufacturing facility to uh a shipping depot that's run by a completely a separate provider that, and maybe they're smaller and they don't have data. Is that, am I understanding that correctly when I know it's probably a lot more complex, but that's my armchair understanding of scope one versus scope three. Yeah. Um, it's, it's pretty much it. Like basically, so scope one and scope two, um, scope one is all the stuff that you own as a company. Okay. Scope two is everything that you utilize for like energy, for example, like steam and cooling and heating and stuff like that. Okay. Um, but so the interesting thing actually is like scope three wasn't around and it was kind of created as a result of um, essentially around the 1960s. That's when all these big companies started offshoring their work. Um, okay. And everything before that was largely made close to home. And so we didn't really need scope three. Um, but okay. all of a sudden, because you're offshoring all your work and people were putting their hands up being like, well, that's not my problem. That's that other country that's <laughs> handling this out for me. Which now we've realized we over the years that no, it is your problem and you need exactly. to have accountability to what's going on on the other side of the world. <laughs> exactly. And like the craziest thing is, you know, if you look at um, like emissions tracking for countries and stuff like that, like a lot of the Western world, their emissions are going down. But on um, the third world countries, their emissions are going up. And the reason is because we're getting stuff more produced, but it's being produced somewhere else. And they're the ones taking the emissions hit basically for our goods and services the dangerous offset, but we all live on the same spinning globe, right? <laughs> exactly. So, oh no, I'm doing great. But don't look, don't look over here at this group who also from an social, from an economic perspective is using that opportunity to do manufacturing to kind of raise up their economy as well. Like it's a tricky balance of who gets tricky to balance, who gets the point of finger at who. <laughs> and like a lot of our food comes from those places and like they're, yeah. you know, uh, like India this past year was, had insane floods. And that it, like destroyed their textiles and their like crop growth and all this stuff like that, and like really put a huge impact on the world supply chain. And so, why are we willing to put ourselves through that? Like, I, yeah, I don't know. It's... Do you? Yeah, we're, we're we're branching quickly outside the guardrails of this conversation. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about global issues and onshoring and uh, all, all all the things. Let's talk about your customers. Um, you're based in West. You're based in Western Canada. Uh, I met you through actually. Leah introduced you to me from Thin Air, the head of story over there. And uh, she's a huge, um, she's a raving fan of you guys, by the way. I don't know if you know that, but she's fantastic. You all, that's who yeah. you always want, Leah Sarah, so who you always want in your corner. So I hope she listens because we're giving her a solid shout out here. Leah's always dragging me from one thing to another. Like, you talk to <laughs> she this, did you tell talk me this, that. She told me that. <laughs> no, she is, she is, she is awesome. I love her energy. So that's how I got introduced to you through this um, new kind of show format. We wanted to kind of focus a little bit more on sustainability and the broad scope of everything that falls under that, which we'll unpack a little bit. But you guys are based here. 
are you finding um, traction with North American companies, with Alberta, Western Canada? Where are you seeing your personal client base and getting interest to uh, start building the, you know, your side of the business and who's coming to the table? Uh, so most of our um, traction has been within Europe. Uh, it's mainly because, yeah, things are a lot more aggressive there in terms of like environmental management and the mandates that are coming in and stuff like that. Like France is launching very aggressively this like eco label that essentially like on products that you're launching or they're releasing you have to put like an estimation of co2 on them so like a clothing tag will have to say like how much co2 is estimated that it generated for consumers to understand oh i didn't know that i didn't know it was that like a number Mm -hmm. we just wrote a blog on it uh and it's it's pretty crazy because like that I've talked to companies like large scale companies like um, from like the skiing world, let's, let's say, uh, and they are they're all looking at that. Like I asked them, why are they wanting to use our software and why do they need these metrics? And mm-hmm. they're all looking at they're like, well, France is doing this thing and I'm pretty sure it's going to become like a global thing sooner or later. So we Let's need get to get ahead of it. it. Yeah, that's powerful. You and I talked about a little bit of this offline when you see things like that, where we set goals or we set targets without necessarily having fully understood how we're going to get there, whether it's for political gain or for marketing purposes, or maybe a bit of PR, all, all of the above, what are you seeing in terms of, you know, and maybe getting into even just your own thoughts as some, as an organization that's built around measurement and really understanding what's going on. And then you see these, I would say sometimes pie in the sky numbers just thrown out by 2025, this by 2030, that, how do you like, are, are we playing with fire with some of these goals or are we just setting ourselves up to trip and fall? Uh, yeah. Or all, the, all the above. All, <laughs> I don't know. It's some of the goals are ridiculous. And like, so there's a, a huge differentiation between what we do and what ESG is. And like, okay. Okay. ESG, well, let, yeah. Let, let's go down that road a little bit. Cause that, I think you can't live in certainly Western Canada without having bumping into that acronym somewhere in your, in your daily travels. Exactly. And so like what I've learned recently which is shocking to me but i guess i shouldn't be shocked is like <laughs> in terms of esg reporting right now like 90 percent of it or so 10 percent of it is data 90 percent of it is just like qualitative stuff like oh know, wow i did not know um that. yeah I would, like i would it, i would have not i would have aspirationally not thought that <laughs> it's it's crazy like it's like you know does your executive team care about carbon reduction boom check mark like that's that's the kind of stuff that's on like reports right now and okay. <laughs> is that going to help you reduce your, is that help you understand where you're at right now? Um, no. How are you going to, if you don't know where you're at right now, how are you going to know you improved or like track those, like, oh, um, like measure those uh, month over month or year over year changes? Uh, I think there's like a huge change that's coming, but needs to happen much faster because I think a lot of these companies will realize that the goals that they've set, like you said, those like 2025, 2030, are actually just unattainable. Like, and it, they were just kind of like a marketing campaign, basically. No, and I, hey, as, as a marketer, I appreciate that. And, uh, and, and also, it's the challenges, it kind of erodes confidence in it. You know, it sounds good now. Like, trust me now, but try to look another, but, but try to look away later when, when I don't meet yeah. my objectives. So, from your perspective and what you do as an organization and being somebody who appreciates the data, you know, from chatting with you, is there a way can we get that back on track? Or it feels like the genie is a little bit out of the bottle. I know we're kind of getting a little bit philosophical now on where we should go, but this all catches up with us. And you know whether it's yeah. you know uh, election promises or you know leaders of organizations portraying something to their shareholders that turns out not to be true and hurts them later, which hurts everybody in that in that in that environment. Is it really just about coming back to what you guys do, which is we need more data? So 
we can, it's not to say we're not improving, but maybe the numbers we set we were going to improve by are what's realistic, uh, are, are what's going to make us look like we failed when maybe we didn't. Um, yeah, we could definitely get back on track. Like the, the whole thing is that uh, what we focus on is all of these like ESG platforms or reporting platforms and all stuff like that, they're actually going to need to come to us to get the data. Like someone is going to have to actually get first assessed in terms of like the measurements yeah. And then get those numbers and then they can report. And like we don't we're not gonna do the whole like reporting stuff. We're the data provider. Okay. Um to make all this stuff possible. But I would say one thing like like ESG itself has had a pretty good impact um in terms of like negative, but also there's positives that have come out of it. So okay. to give you an example, like um when we first started, we didn't like not started our company, but just started dabbling in this stuff. Okay. Um, we like one of our co-founders was like, uh, he's like, oh, I took this class in university, and the prof talked about this thing called ESG. Uh, we were in like a we were doing a um, what's it called a hackathon that was sponsored by ATP, okay. and this was right before COVID hit. And we we're like, oh, let's, let's check it out. Like, let's play around with it. And we were like, we ended up taking like second place in the the whole thing or whatever it was. But if you look at Google, um, like trends. And you search, like, I think it was, like, February 2020, uh, ESG was, like, no one was talking about it. Interesting. And if you look at it from from then and now, it's exploded in relevancy. And I would say the biggest thing that it's accomplished is just getting people to communicate about it and start understanding about it. And, like, um, it's, it's even, like, showcasing how shoddy of a metric it is has created this huge urgency and call for actual, like, more data and, like, more understanding and all those things like that. I think without that piece, like we might have not had the um, mm, I appreciate that yep. explosive turnaround that we've had so far. Yeah, it did feel like it came out of nowhere in terms of like all of a sudden it's in every conversation and, and the acronym. Everybody loves dropping their dropping an acronym in a yep. conversation as as, yep. as well. Have you much conversations with companies and you know? And let's talk let's let's talk honestly with our fossil fuels industry and our the oil and gas the energy sector here in Western Canada. Is that is that an audience that you've had had chats with? Has there been any interest? Or you know, I appreciate that most of your companies are maybe on a global or, or a European scale. Uh like not directly. Like so, I've I have friends that work in uh, oil and gas here and stuff like that, and I always yeah. kind of poke them and prod them and be like, hey, <laughs> yeah. are you guys ready You live ready in Calgary, yet? you have are friends you... that work in the sector, for sure, <laughs> yeah. 100%. Yeah. And like, you know, are you guys, are you guys ready yet? Like, because we're not going to dive into something. <laughs> Generally, like, it, like, as a startup, the rule of thumb is, like, if you're going to put effort into something, there needs to be proven ROI that you're going to get out of yep. that. Because it's not necessarily that, like, capital is your big bottleneck. It's just time. Like, you need, you have to use your time as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of my friends that I talk to that are in, like, oil and gas are like, yeah, it's not time yet. Like none of the ducks are in, in a row and you kind of just okay, get lost fair. in like corporate hell basically bouncing around. And so, <laughs> but I do think, I do think that it's, it's, it's happening faster and faster. Okay. Um, like even if you were take this time last year, the combos I was having with companies, it was like, yeah, like, you know, we care about this, but like we don't have a strategy yet and we don't have a budget, like come back to us in two years or whatever it is. And like even towards the end of last year, like that was when we signed the most amount of our uh, contracts in the last quarter because like the need and the urgency has just exploded since then. Okay. So I, I'm, I'm seeing a positive trend. Towards- so slowly and then all of a sudden kind of those that model. Yeah. Curious a little bit and I don't know how much you want to get into it from a detailed perspective, but you, you know, your, your business, 
very purpose driven, very clear. I would say kind of north star in terms of the you know where you guys are leaning into. Talk to me about a little bit as the, the business model. Is it based on the size, of the company, the amount of data you collect? Is it more of a consulting model? Because uh, it it makes sense sitting here, but like how does it actually work in terms of making this uh, a viable business that you guys can grow? Because it seems very labor intensive. But I'm just curious what that structure looks like. Um. So this process of like. Um, doing these calculations and stuff like that has existed for a long time and it's called life cycle product life cycle assessment okay yep. the thing that um the reason why it's been honestly severely underutilized is obviously one part is the need hasn't been there yet but the other piece is that it's it's all been done by hand so it's like excel spreadsheets and like um, <laughs> spreadsheet <content>. hell yeah <laughs> yeah and like consultants doing and like and researchers doing this work by hand and it'll take months years sometimes for you to get this data back as a company so it just it's makes it super um, expensive because it's it's all like data entry and like yeah the, and, the, like the barrier is just simply the labor and time right like right exactly okay. um and so what we did was like we took that process and applied because like, i come uh, come from a computer science background with the rest okay. of my founders we all have like software backgrounds um and we applied software to it and it's just automated the whole thing and so like we have a product that's scalable um, you can measure 10 products, 10 million products. It doesn't matter. Um, and what we do is the model is based on a, per, a price per product per year. So okay. we'll break down the cost per month or whatever it is. But generally what we like to do is just like have the full year so we can provide you with data like updates like each quarter uh, because the data does change as things that are coming out more and more. Um, and really like our pricing is set up on, you know, are you a large scale enterprise or are you not a large scale enterprise? Because generally if you're a large scale enterprise, we have to do like a bit of integration work to integrate directly into your like product management software. Um, if you're a smaller company, but for example, if you use Shopify, we just launched, we're launching um, what's it called a Shopify plugin. You can okay. get straight into your store and it's super fast and easy basically. So really making it accessible at, at a, at a small all the way up to, cause yeah, that's my next question of like, who's the ideal fit? Is it enterprise level? Because they can afford it, but they've also got way more layers and more complexity. Often, smaller companies where it's easier to work with them, they're they're smaller. So sometimes budgets and they just it's a completely different profile. Are you, sounds like you're able to scale this up and down the chain, like from a plug-in all the way to an enterprise level integration. Yeah, like what we've done, hmm. what we've done nice. is developed it so that it's um, the like for the smaller companies, it's just self serve basically, so they can mm -hmm. just kind of use it and. Do everything through the dashboard. So a true kind of SaaS, true SaaS, SaaS model. Exactly. But then if you have an enterprise, like the only piece that can be kind of complex sometimes is that integration process into like finding okay. where where is the data. Because what we want to do is um, like sometimes what we'll do is we'll send them like a an input form for some products to give show them showcase them like the, the power of our product, let's say. And it has a bunch of data fields of like, you know, manufacturing information, transfer, all this stuff like that. And they'll come back and like, wow, that was like a lot of work for us to get this data together. Like I have to talk to all these people. I'm like, see, okay, now if you just let us integrate it to where that data is, you don't just have to push do any button. of that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that's a great, it's a good buying strategy. Feel the pain and then, and then see the solution, right? Exactly. <laughs> Got to exactly. buy one to one. Uh, do you, is there an accredit, accreditation process? Is there a third party? I guess thinking about you being the static, like you're, I'm, I'm taking your data, but your data may be skewed or, 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 or fragmented or incorrect in some way. I guess how, is there part of your business that say more, is it track record or like, 
how do you prove to a company when they say, well, I know it's our data, but how do you, how is your system? How can we trust it? Maybe is what I'm looking for. Is there anything that you can use from that? Or is it more just time and, and experience and examples of, of successful engagements? Yeah, that's the number one question is always like, <laughs> how can I trust the data, right? Yeah. And, um, the way that we have developed this is we don't generally create the um, frameworks and methodologies and like, um, like we have our own data that we've inferred from, but okay. generally the stuff that we use has been created by like, for example, like the, not created, um, like approved by the IPCC, which is like the international panel for climate change. Okay. Um, and everything around like the 1.5 degrees Celsius plan and all that stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so we try and use, it's like, I, I try to use this example where it's like, you know, I mean, everyone hates tax software, but it's, it's just kind of similar thing. You know, the framework <laughs> is there, it's set up and they've created a way to make it easy for people to use through automation and make it fast. And you're leaning up against a, a, a standardized approach of this is how you, you're going to process this information. Exactly. And like the other pieces, like the things that we own um, are the inferences that we've made through the data. So like, um, connecting suppliers and like to like different companies and like being able to create like a database of suppliers and like understanding of what they look like. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, I, I think I use this um, example when we were talking earlier, but uh, it's like how Facebook will use friends of friends to make inferences about you and like to understand more about you based on what your friends like and do or whatever it is. Which really um, is the kind of the network effect of so many technology platforms. Like the more data, the more accurate because we can make more cross references. And because data, because we're, computer bring power is so powerful, you can process so much data. <laughs> exactly. And like, and the other step is that we try really hard to work with organizations who are leading the charge on this. So for example, um, okay. one of our biggest competitors, well, our biggest competitor by far, uh, ended up getting investigated for greenwashing claims. Uh, by the Norwegian Consumer Authority. And it was found that they were greenwashing and companies like H&M and like... So they um, turned it into a pay-to-play model. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really of. bad because like we knew like we... Not we that you see... wish ill on your competitors, but that's not a bad thing to happen to a competitor. No, no, but like we looked at the data like from two years ago that they were spitting out and it was just, I was like, this is, there's no way. Like they were saying polyester was like good for the environment and like this it's a lie. Like it's not. Um, and... <laughs> you know, surprise, surprise, like all of these companies like Zara and H&M and all these places use polyester the most. So of course they're going to like uh, try to yeah. use this tool. Mm, um, sounds some ba- some sounds like some backroom envelopes of cash. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And like, so it ended up getting banned and we actually went and met with that Norwegian Consumer Authority. We're like, look, like, look at everything. Like, this is how we do it. This is what we do. Like, we just want to know, like, oh, great. Is this... What a great, that, what a great moment to kind of interject yourself into that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, is this what you want to see and they had a lot of feedback on in terms of like um it's all about transparency like if you are only looking at one section of supply chain that's fine um but you have to communicate that to your yeah be uh, honest about this what you're actually looking at right exactly like you can't just like look at the raw materials piece and be like you know it's three kilograms co2 and then just make it seem like that was the entire thing that you looked at and it's 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 just all about the transparency side of things, and we've really employed that to heart as much as possible through our product and our approach. Mm, I appreciate that from a marketing or from a business development or growth perspective. What a what an amazing opportunity! Like thinking about that whole dynamic that happened when your number yeah. one competitor gets caught with their hand in the cookie jar or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> 
curious, just thinking about data reporting and you know the the old adage that you can you can make your data to almost tell you anything you want. When you're working with bringing on a company on a global stage and you know, on a global scale, they maybe have fifty percent of their own data. How much do you have to factor in each year of like, okay, we got new data came on board that was more accurate that made us look better or made us look worse? There's got to be so many factors that are pushing and pulling on your outcome that you've got to create an algorithm to say, all right, what's our fudge factor? <laughs> a very technical term, I'm aware that goes, well, shit, we just got more data that actually pulled us down. doesn't mean we did anything worse. We're just now more accurate. I'm assuming that's a big part of your reporting matrix and the conversation you have with, with, with your customers. Yeah. So what we've done is actually through this conversation with this consumer authority, uh, we've created this thing called like a data quality rating that we give. Okay. And that's basically how confident we are that the data is accurate. And it's based on essentially how much data are we getting from the, uh, like the company and how much data are we having to substitute ourselves? So the more data that comes from directly from the company, the higher the data quality rating confidence score that we give it. Um, But the less that comes from them, we have to put in more, um, what's it called, uh, like estimations and assumptions and stuff like that. Uh, We lower the quality rating. So over time as data, like ultimately what's going to happen is the estimation data that we use, like the assumptions, uh, will get more more accurate over time. Um, And we communicate this Mm -hmm. to the customers that we sign on um, is that like, we like the number one thing and this is what we've won like rfps off of basically um is we focus on accuracy like we're not going to cut slack to anybody and if more accurate data comes in and all of a sudden your products look way worse that's just it like that's okay because we're not gonna yeah that that was exactly that's exactly the question i was asking so thank you thanks for capturing it of like what happens if this happens And somebody has just celebrated, look at our amazing numbers. And six months later in another reporting cycle, it's like, well, actually that, that wasn't accurate. That actually wasn't what's going on to no fault of your own. We just have better data now. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Do you find that, you know, and again, now now I'm putting your philosophical, I'm going to get you put your philosophical (laughs) hat back on. I love that. Yeah. Are we giving like, are we giving some grace? You know, we always talk about, oh, failure is great until somebody fails and then we throw them under the bus for it. Is there is there some tolerance and do you feel that would maybe help at this stage of where we're at, where we're, we're in the process of getting better data? We've got companies that are willing to, I'll be, I'll be candid, put themselves or their brands at risk by doing this work and maybe finding out things that they didn't know or didn't want to know and all of a sudden go, oh shit, this was real. I don't know, just curious what you think and from a trend, are we, are, we, are we giving enough bandwidth for organizations or are those lofty 2025, 20, 2030 20, goals making everybody look like the villain for even trying to be better? Um, I think honestly, like what we're seeing is a total shift in how the market is going to work, like the global market is going to work. Okay. Um, from a consumer perspective, like people... As much as you'll see like someone saying that they don't care or whatever it is, like a global scale, like there's just all the data in the world to showcase that consumers more and more are making choices based on environmental um, practices or like things that they see from a brand or a product perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, I think, just going to drive its competition. Like if you don't, if you don't evolve, yeah, it's a competitive that, advantage, or, or it's not. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and like <clears throat> there's this kind of like. Like I, oh, the way that we talk to brands is like, <clears throat> if you want to differentiate yourself, the easiest way right now is just to be transparent. Like, <clears throat> just, just <laughs> when honesty when honesty is a differentiator. <laughs> Literally, like, yeah, and it's totally. like people appreciate that, and they they create this like it's it's a higher brand loyalty. But like, 
even we just we've run like um for example tests with our data like before and after on products and okay. like the most recent one we just did a case study that we, la- uh, we launched on linkedin we showed uh and there was like an increase in conversion rates by like 28 percent. so it's 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 clear that like if you're just more i love the ability to directly to correlate it to consumer to a consumer activity or decision or buying a, exactly a, a, a buying trigger mm. exactly and so I think that, like, and even, for example, like, we're talking to, um, like, large companies like uh, S&P Global, for example. Okay. And what they're looking at and everyone's looking at right now is, like, how to create a new way of buying things, like, procuring um, commodities, let's say. Because everything up until now has been price-driven. Um, yep. But now that you have, <clears throat> we were talking about those, like, goals of carbon reduction or whatever it is, it financially impacts you if you don't hit those goals and metrics. Um, so now you need to look at, well, not what's the cheapest, uh, commodity or product, but what's the one that's going to help me with my carbon reduction goals. And that might be the more expensive product, but maybe on your carbon balance sheet, it's going to do wonders for you for, by buying nickel from Switzerland instead of China, for example. Um, and so it just, it's creating this entire new, like complex of purchasing things. It's crazy. With your customers, are you doing a lot of like? What's your blend between more of a like just B two B industrial, whether it's commodities or or shipping parts around the world for a facility of some kind, or direct to consumer? You mentioned the tag on my on my clothing. Are you do you kind of have a balance? Have you seen this more of an uptake in the companies that have direct to consumer, like that consumer's in the store looking at the, physically looking at the label or seeing it on social media, versus a company that's shipping parts all around the world? Um. It's a bit of a split. So, like within North America, it's definitely right now is a lot like driven by um, the consumer side. So, okay. like okay. most of the people that we talk to are people that are like digital experience or like marketing people or salespeople that are mm. seeing this like you know conversion rate uptick by having this data. Available. Yeah, you can't deny that number, and you're tracking it because exactly. on your website it leans a little bit more. Like when I first read your website. I talked to Leah. She's like, no, no, it's much broader than that. It, it definitely leaned me towards more of a consumer feeling in terms of with your brand and even some of the some of the content on your site currently. Mm-hmm. Um, and then within Europe, though, it's a lot more. They want the data internally um, because they want to be able to report and they want to be able to um, create, like, make decisions um, on what products they need to get rid of, what products that they should look be looking at. Um, how to make their next year's products based off like, you know, understanding of like... So operational decisions beyond kind of marketing, uh, new features and benefits to throw on your marketing campaign to be... Exactly. To oversimplify it. (laughs) And compliance and all those things like that. So it's a bit of a split. um, And I think like both are going to like merge uh, pretty soon. But it's interesting to see like the different dynamics um, in the different markets and what different people care about. North America versus Europe, does regulatory, some of the decisions, some of the comments you made about the companies you're talking with, Europe, they're looking at their product decisions. They're looking at what their next year is going to be on their mix, where they're going to do them. Is that more driven by an internal strategic or is it still regulatory is the biggest hammer in this whole thing? Mm-hmm. I would say regulatory is definitely like a huge hammer in it, but okay. it, is, it has been interesting. Like, cause I always ask the question of like, like, why are you doing this? Where's this yeah, coming from? Totally. <laughs> and a lot of these companies will be like, you know, it's coming from our executives. Like, they really care about this stuff and they're pushing the whole company um, to make these changes. Um, and at first I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, <laughs> I don't trust that. I don't <laughs> Alex, trust that. Alex, you're not telling all. me you're jaded, are you? Come on. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, but like, 
when I start talking to these people, like you can actually get a sense that yeah, like they, they it may the, the the way that we sell it is like for the first time in history, you don't have to choose between only being sustainable and making or making money. Like it's uh, always like, been yeah, like, like yeah, you know, I gotta like I gotta uh, make this huge sacrifice for sustainability, and that means like my profits are gonna be shit and like all this stuff like that. Now it's like no, you can actually make money off of being sustainable, and I think like hmm. these people are understanding that and. You know, like what's the number like number one goal of a business is being profitable and being sustainable itself. Unfortunately, the whole party goes away if you can't pull that off, right? Exactly. <laughs> like even yeah. for us, it's the same thing, right? Like we can't achieve the impact and the goals if we aren't a sustainable business, like economically sustainable business, right? So it's it all just makes sense. And if you tie it all together, I, I feel like it's we have, we're at like a win win scenario right now um, that more of these companies are getting behind. I do appreciate moving away from this. If you're this, then you're not that. If you're sustainable, yeah. you're not profitable. If you're for the environment, you're anti-business. And that that left, like, I think we need, I'm glad to hear it's getting shuffled up because it's the categorization sometimes to me seems ridiculous. If, well, if you're pro-environment, you're against energy. And if you're this, you're not that. I'm like, no, no, no. no. I, con, human, humans and businesses are more complex than that. It's not, media loves to do black and white scenarios because it gets good clicks. But this, yeah. I just don't think real people operate that way. <laughs> no, and like, yeah, I mean, that's my whole like life philosophy is like the <laughs> we're getting into is, it now we're getting into the nuts and bolts but of it it's, now. yeah like the answer is never on one end of the spectrum or the other like it's always in the middle somewhere like that's uh, yes. that's generally how everything seems to work <laughs> my business partner i think his daughter was eight or nine he came to work and he goes uh, goes oh my daughter he goes i'm, I'm using parenting to stuff like giving her choices and i'm just like okay brooklyn do you want to get ready for bread or brush your teeth she's like dad i need more choices <laughs> Something about it struck me so funny. <laughs> I'm like, that sums up so much right there in that statement. <laughs> Dad, yeah, literally. And he's like, I lost it. I started laughing and he goes, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't think either happened at that point, but <laughs> she outsmarted his, this or that uh, decision matrix. <laughs> yeah. I guess as anyone I know has kids, leave it to your kids to show you where your blind spots are. Um, going forward with the organization, something I did want to touch on. Um, I meet a lot of companies that are very mission and, and very purpose led sometimes to the detriment of their balance sheets or their ability yeah. to be to be profitable. You know, you were very clear, like, oh, we're a bunch of coders. We're a bunch of computer science guys. We're coming from that background. Hey, what's this ESG acronym? Like, I even appreciate, like, the new, I'm pulling the threads of kind of how you told it in that story. Was that a coming together of like, yeah, no, I'm all about, I'm a coder. I'm a computer guy. I'm a computer scientist. Hey, there's a real opportunity here. And it's also something I believe in. How did that form the DNA of your organization of like the practicality of building something to manage the like big data like you guys are doing? And also the fact that you're leaning into a big purpose-driven North Star for so many people right now. Was that, was that, did it kind of come together that way? Or was that emerging of some different values and, and skills? Uh, Definitely like, I had to do a lot of really fast learning um, through this whole journey. uh, And I had really great people to learn from. So like we're really close with thin air labs, for example. So like um, James Lockery and Rick over there and Ragu, like I've spent the last couple of years just soaking up all the knowledge that they have from like an operational (laughs) business. That's a knowledge rich environment you're in over there. Literally. I know know those guys and what they're and that whole organization. I'm a big fan of what they're doing. So uh, I believe, yeah, I'm sure you were drinking from a fire hose. (laughs) Yeah. And it was just, you know, the faster that I could learn on the business side of things, like I haven't touched code in the last like year and a half. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I got it. You just, when you become CEO, there's like, you're doing a bit of literally everything, but like it it does give many hats, but you're very seldom doing the thing that probably got you into it in the first place. That's exactly. It's a very consistent phenomenon. But I would say like being a CEO 
coming from a computer science background, like it gives you such an advantage. I can go into these conversations and like I know what we're talking about. Like even when we start, you're getting not you're like, not getting bullshitted by the coders. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to be or blunt, because like, I've been like, I have been before. <laughs> even on sales calls or like even on like uh, pitches for like VCs and stuff like that. Like I can talk tech and product and stuff like that. I don't need to go like bring in my CTO. Yeah, let's to, like, wait. Let me get my CTO. You can. Yeah. Okay. I, exactly. I do, yeah, I do. I do appreciate, it, especially at this phase, where you, where you're having probably so many different conversations in the course of a day from you know, a deep ESG reporting, you know, kind of global purview of what's happening in Norway uh, or versus what's actually happening at the code level in the back end of your system. Yeah. And it makes, it helps you make decisions so much quicker. But um, I would say like we, the four of us always were pretty purpose driven. Like yep. we weren't like chaining ourselves up to trees and stuff like that. But like I always, <laughs> I appreciate I always, the clarification. No, I got it. <laughs> yeah. No, I always like really wanted to, to do something that was bigger than myself. Like I was, I always get bored in jobs that I've had. Like I've had many jobs. Like mm -hmm. uh, I worked at the, like the UFC for a while and like, that wasn't like, I'm not knocking on it. It's just like, I, it I just felt it like ran I its was, course. No, it wasn't for you. Exactly. I, yeah, I yeah. felt like I was like, again, the classic like cog in the machine of like anything that I was yeah. doing or working on didn't really feel like I had you know, any impact. Yeah, no, I appreciate so, that. Um, what we wanted to do was like, how can we, you know, like if, if we're, um if i'm recycling every single day it does nothing overall into the whole um you know it's a drop in the bucket basically yes, yeah but if we use data and software to reach like millions of people around the world and they're all doing some activity at the same time now then you're scaling the impact that's happening there mm -hmm. and that's kind of what thought process was always like scale automation like data software like how do we reach the biggest amount of people get to the source like to make these impacts happen faster basically where the really like where your two worlds kind of your view of doing something purposeful but your background of understanding how to do that right yeah yeah because <laughs> you know having exactly. the big idea that's always the gap sometimes like you got the big idea but you don't have the tech background to kind of get both coming together and so that you so you have four founders how many what's what's the size of the company right now how many of you are, are at it so we're up to 20 people nice. um yeah so we incorporated in like january 2021 um that was when we like raised our first round and then uh yeah we were four guys just working in a basement just hammering <laughs> on the keys <laughs> yeah <laughs> literally working in a basement like we weren't paying ourselves at that point um and then once you raise our first round everything changed like we got a, an office space uh down at the air and then like we um then it started hiring people and that was crazy because you just no, that's, a whole, like that, that's, like, a, that's a whole nother world. And yeah, I, yeah. A lot of business owners in the early stages didn't always sign up for that part. Be, no, exactly. And like <laughs> interview people. Thing. Yeah. Man, that was wild. Like, uh, yeah, like starting to get to like know people. And around that like 14, 15 person mark, you start seeing like the dynamics of people's like teams and like yes. relationships and like personalities and stuff. And it's definitely like uh, I was reading one thing where it was like um, all these like, I don't know, some CEO or whatever it was. Um, but he was saying that like, it's the, the, like the problems that you think are small or like pointless are actually the big problems like as a CEO. And I've really been like leaning into that because if, if your team or part of a team like isn't working correctly together, like that's a huge thing that's going to only just get worse over time. And so like you it have to, it really, doesn't just like, go away. I had a percent. Exactly. Like yeah. you have to spend so, and we've spent so much time on our like culture and like making sure that people like really love working here um and that's like we've had 100 percent retention like we we don't have any issues and people wanting to oh, right or anything like that so 
And is yeah, everybody here good. in Calgary? Do you guys, are you guys, well, you're, you look like you're at home just based on I see a guitar in yeah. the background. Not, not, yeah. If you have a guitar in your office, that's cool. That's awesome. But uh, are you guys all remote? And like, is most of your team, I like, out of that 20, are they all in Western Canada? Or have you, again, I always joke, the pandemic let everyone else know what the technology space had been doing for years, remote work and people all over the place. Yeah. So my friends in yeah. tech laughed. They're like, oh, welcome to where we've been doing it for 10 years. Um, have you guys, like from a talent perspective, has that been a challenge or do you guys have talent kind of everywhere? Um, so most of our team, I'd say like 75% of our team is in Calgary. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. And then we have some people in like Toronto, Montreal, and Victoria. Um, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, I feel like the mission of our company has made it really easy to hire people and find good, smart people. I can, like, yeah, I can imagine. It's, hey, back to a value proposition. It's also your value proposition, right? <laughs> exactly. It's, your, like, it's part of your competitive advantage. And when it comes to hiring, that's a huge factor. Employer branding to oversimplify it is real. It's, and people it's are highly mobile, especially in your industry. They've got skill, they've got talent, they're in demand, they go anywhere. They choose to come work with you. It's a, it's a two-sided thing, almost sometimes more in the employee's favor than the employer. Yeah. And like as a startup, generally like, Hiring people is tough because you are competing with places that are just going to throw crazy money at yeah, yeah. like good people, right? But I feel like we've hired like so many rock stars on our team um, because of the purpose, and like we'd be like, look, like we can't, like we know you're worth this, but right now we can't offer that. So what we'll try to do is like we give like um, unlimited vacation, basically. So like, yeah, you can I take love that. Off we, we've been doing that. Want. We've been doing that for years as well. I love yeah, that. it's 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 just ways that you can. Aside from just like obviously number one motivator is like being able to pay people um, of course. like higher amounts stuff like that, but like you can offset these things with like culture yeah. and like the way you and, treat and people. And I think as even adults. more so after COVID, people are very quick to to value different things differently, and I and I appreciate that exactly. And time exactly. and life balance and spending time with family, those things are huge. I think there's there's people that are putting that maybe above other things that ten years ago or five years ago it was like oh just give me more money. Money doesn't buy happiness, but if you're already happy, money makes it more fun. That's my theory. <laughs> Honestly, the secret I found is just treat people like adults. Like, you know, they don't need to. You don't need to see them working from nine to five. Like, they can work whenever. And if if you give them trust to get their work done, and like, if you want to work from eight p.m. to four a.m., I don't care. Like, it's just, just as long as, as, long as the stuff's as, getting yes, done. I like, I agree with you hundred. We went we're full remote during COVID and. I have check-ins with my team and they're, I'm like, what's, what can I do to make your life better? Like, just don't make us go back. This is amazing. I love it. Yeah. And I get that. I hear that feedback constantly. And we went from yeah. two offices, Toronto, Calgary, that was the way to do it and kind of blew that whole model up. And our, our team hasn't been, has never been happier. So consequently, I've never been happier. It's great. <laughs> it's great. Honestly, just lean yeah, I do thank it. COVID for a few things, showing me what was possible. hundred percent. Exactly. And me paying exactly. enough attention to look, to, to, to notice. <laughs> yeah. Alex, so good to chat with you today, man. I really love what you're doing. I love the ability to just kind of lay it out and it kind of we went down some twists and turns and put our put on our philosophical caps, put on our data our data caps. Um, next big things you see for you guys? Let's just you know six months to a year ahead. Is it just you know more more of the same? Is there any kind of big changes on the horizon for the organization? Um, I mean, our big kind of uh, north star right now. So we're finishing up like our seed round, but really all we're trying to do is just work up to the Series A and like. Okay that's all based on customer acquisition. So we're trying to get into the door with like a lot of places. We got some pretty awesome, like large scale partnerships that have been offered to us. Um, like, like Google and like Microsoft and like all this stuff like that. They yeah. It's more of a channel strategy where exactly. you're sitting on. Yeah. Which all of a and sudden like, now credibility and doors fly open. <laughs> exactly. And like, yeah. when you put trusted by this or whatever, like it's just, it makes it super easy, but uh, really just trying to, 
get as many customers, get in front of people's faces as much as possible, learn as much as we can about like how to best create that impact and like make tweaks to our product. But yeah, I would say the big North star right now is that series a raise, which most likely would be like end of this year, maybe. Oh, like nice. Okay, cool. Maybe of next year, something like that. All right. Well then that's uh that's, that's our, there's our next podcast opportunity. When you go and you could, you go through that. I love having uh, I do another show called follow the money where I have those exact conversations about, there's so many, like if we need X amount of startups to change the world in Western Canada, we need X amount of money and there's a gap in between. Boom. There's, that's a conversation worth having. And that's, yeah. I had James on at thin air uh, probably a year and a half ago, having that exact conversation of why they put the fund together, what his philosophy was to kind of really understand that. So it's, it's great to have you on to kind of hear your perspective of now benefiting from what that team created at thin air and then exactly. bringing you in, not just the funding, but also the knowledge and that, and the ability to elevate skills. That's, that's huge. Cause money's yeah. one thing you can find money. But support, skills, mentorship, they're, they're, I would say, almost more important. <laughs> I would say, honestly, like, because you could waste so much time <laughs> and know, money, not yes, knowing yeah. Yeah. what to do and, like, having that skill set. And, like, each round I've found is, like, <laughs> you complete the round and you you think you know, like, what <laughs> the next round is going to look like. But basically, my standard operating procedure right now is, at this point, is just round is done, dump all uh, everything that I knew about that. And like in the next round, it's going to be totally nice. different basically. Like that's, yeah. Uh, humility. It awaits, it awaits around every corner. <laughs> yeah. You're going to humble slap pretty quick. Yeah. If, if, yes. It's that moment just where you think you got your shit together. That's where you always crash. You know, you and I were joking about skiing in the morning. Like, oh, this runs going boom. That's exactly when it happens. As I get older, yeah. as soon as I start feeling that, that's, I'm starting to go, okay, wait a second. Wisdom lets me know what's coming around the next mogul, for sure. Yeah. You know, life's down, life and snowboarding, there's lots of metaphors we could drive together in our business. Uh, Arbor.eco, uh, check, out your, check out your website. What is, do you have a preferred way? Everyone can find everyone, but do you have a preferred way for people to reach out to you? Is it LinkedIn? Is it email? What's your, what's your favorite? Mm-hmm. I would say LinkedIn is definitely the easiest place. Okay. Uh, I'm pretty active on there like, and uh, always checking and stuff like that. So if anyone wants to talk, LinkedIn. It feels like the one social media platform that still has some some modicum of credibility. <laughs> a little bit. It's definitely yeah, yeah, fair enough. Let's not give it let's not give social media any credit yeah. whatsoever. But yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's definitely I've seen a huge change in LinkedIn happen. I'm not liking where it's going. <laughs> it's yeah, I know. It's slipping down that road, but I know. Yeah. Uh, you know, got someone's help someone's pushing them to monetize too, you know what I mean? <laughs> I know. How do we get more money out of this 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 network? But Alex, really good having you on. I love what you guys are all about. Thanks for taking the time. And I really hey man, I love the just having a good old-fashioned conversation so that was awesome i look forward to having you on again thanks again appreciate having me um it was great talking to you and uh, i love what you're doing so thanks, thanks for thank you. giving yeah. people like myself some limelight and uh some exposure anytime man it's my pleasure i, I love it all right man have a good one you too